0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. I want to start off with a quote from our upcoming guest. Put people in a position where they have to work. Put people in a position where they have to care genuinely, where they have to be authentic and be vulnerable. Then give them adversity. Watch how they respond and let their teammates watch how they respond. When people do that consistently, you create structure from that vulnerability. Coach Ryan Horn knows that there is far more to culture than the vision of a head coach. As Horn says, culture is more like a Petri dish than a puzzle. It's a living, breathing dynamic that requires care and competition. Such a quote-worthy guy, such an intelligent and innovative coach. Here it is, episode
1: 284.
0: Power Athlete
1: Nation, it's that time again. It's time for another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Tune in now. Listen to me, people. If you are downloading this on opening day, is that what we call it? Launch day? Release day? If this is the first day,
2: this post day? I call it game day. Game Game day? Friday is my Super Bowl.
1: Power at radio game day. It is November 9th, 2018. The year of... Mission Impossible Six, or is it five? Oh no, that was six. The year three. of Mission Impossible Six. Right now, currently ranking my favorite I Tom Cruise movie.
2: Three episodes in a row we've talked about. It's not Cruise Control. What is it? <laughs> that was Speed Two. What's Mission Impossible Six called?
1: Uh, Ghost Protocol.
2: Ghost? No, that's five. Um, Fallout. Fallout. Yeah,
1: fucking great. Just dude flew flew home last night, so. Spoiler alert, people, it's not actually November 9th. But flew home last night from a business trip, business time, wearing business socks. And the dude next to me, first off, the two dudes next to me were wearing the exact same shirt and knew it and didn't acknowledge it. Like, they fucking saw each other. Yes, they saw each other in the terminal. They were they were like different strangers, if you know what I mean. Like, or perfect strangers. What was the show with Balky and uh, Perfect Strangers? I
2: don't watch TV, only movies.
1: Right? So, uh, anywho... Just like complete opposites. Right. But wearing the same shirt. And they had to have seen it like in the terminal. Like, fuck, I'm wearing the same shirt as this fucking guy. What shirt? It was like a button up shirt with like a Old Navy button up long sleeve dress shirt that was like blue and red kind of cross pattern right? Just a dress shirt. Like it looks like a dress shirt that anyone wear. It just happened to be the exact fucking same pattern, like not resembling. It is the exact same pattern. Right. And uh, so we get boarded on because we're priority plus. Right. So I'm in, we're in exit row uh, because the big guy is a big guy and I'm sitting on aisle seat because that's what I do now. I don't sit in the window ever because I don't want a crumpler to lean over. I don't want anyone leaning over crumpling boogers on my lap again. That's a true story. Anywho, this guy, first guy comes, walks in, sits in the, the, uh, uh, window seat. And I'm like, kind of chat him up. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, no problem looking at him. And I look, I'm like, that's,
2: is that the same shirt? No problem. Are you like checking for danger?
1: No, he said, thank you. And my response was no problem.
2: Oh, like I thought you mentally mental check. He's no problem.
1: No, no one on that plane is
2: problem. Cause I'm fucking deal with it.
1: Now. Here's the long story, longer story version of it, which I will continue to drag on. This fucking dude starts walking down and I'm like, no way. And he's fucking eyeing up the rope and he sees the guy in the shirt and you can see his reaction is like, fuck, next to my guy with the same shirt. I sure hope no one says anything. I read it all over this fucking dude's face. So when he's like, hey, I'm middle seat. I go, okay, stand up, turn around, sit down. I go, whoa, same shirt. Got a, twins, DeVito and Schwarzenegger. Which one's Schwarzenegger? You know, like none of them look like fucking Schwarzenegger. They was fucking just, they're like, oh, cool. Huh? I'm like, Dave, hey, same shirts over here. John's like, what's it going on over there? I'm like, ah, these guys right here, same shirts. Everybody, same shirts over here. Just fucking humiliated these guys and they were just not having it. Anyways. That's hilarious. The dude walked next to me and watched fucking uh, Mission Impossible. And then I watched it on his screen in between doing actual work on the plane because that's what I do. Dude. But the moral of the story is I nudged him like, hey, same shirt guy. I uh, was of that movie. He's like, I thought it was better than the last one. I go, I thought it was the best one I've ever seen. He's like, yeah, I'd have to agree. What are we talking about here?
2: Well, just the story, the analogy here is just like Mission Impossible, Power Athlete Radio, each week is the best episode that we've ever delivered. I would agree with that statement. Except...
1: I'm trying to think what do uh, I think my favorite episode no my favorite episode is is early version early version when we talked about the tragic loss of your roommate oh in my Tampa. God,
0: really, <laughs> <that was really laughs> my, party,
1: my fucking favorite episode. The audio quality is horrible. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know. Do you know uh, the number? No, I don't. But I'll continue to blab on and you'll give them the number. If you want to know what episode it is, Tex is looking it up now. But you're going to have to stay tuned for some shameless plugs, people. It is exactly one month until the three-day speaker experience in Austin, Texas, where you will be roaming in open event space with all sorts. I mean, dude, it's a perfect, it's infotainment. That's our new jam that I made up. That's actually Texas people. A pure, unadulterated, unfiltered speaker experience, smartest folks that we know with power athlete approved food, fun, and libations. You can't go wrong. It is the premier strength and conditioning event in Austin, Texas in 2018 on December 7th, 8th and 9th. If you are even have a twinkle in your eye about wanting to go to this thing, head to events.powerathletehq.com. You can get your ticket for 275 3 days. We have hotel room blocks lined up for you. Get in there. You're going to be talking with folks like Dr. Kara Miller, Adam Nelson, Brad Schneider, I'm fucking stoked to see him. Dr. Brian Mann, Lindsay Matthews, Rafa Ruiz, Mr. Chris McQuilkin. You're going to squat with John Wellborn. Uh, let's see. Who else do we got? Tate Fletcher is going to be there. Rob Wolf. You can't beat this cast. It's going to be fucking epic. And you get to hang out. with them. Yeah. We get to roam the floors. We're going to give you plenty of time to rub elbows with the finest folks we know. And... The peak of this event is gonna be the Wade's Army Silent auction on Friday oh, night. yeah. We have honestly, we just went through the silent auction items. we're procuring them as we speak. You do not want to fucking miss the silent auction. You're gonna walk away with truly the, the, the most sought after memorabilia that you, any anyway, you're gonna put this on your fireplace mantle. You have kids, you know your kids like the most valuable trophy they have. Pfft, that's going away. You're putting this new memorabilia up there. It's gonna <laughs> be fucking awesome. Yeah. Hey, you have family pictures? Might as well throw them away. Set them on fire. Bury them because you're going to put up new shit around the house. Am I wrong, Tex? You're not wrong. <laughs> and I know exactly what items you are talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, events.powerathletehq.com, And if you're wondering what episode it was that we announced the tragic death of Texas' roommate, who was a very, very elderly
2: woman-ish uh,
3: that he lived with no, in Tampa. She was
2: like 50s and had liver. Oh, yeah. And she parted a little bit too hard. Yes. So, quick backstory. I mean, the episode is episode 46, and Callie also put it in episode 80 for the best of Power at the Radio. Yes. So, you get two chances episode 46, and we're like 200 past that, or best of episode 80. Callie, uh, why'd you do that? But essentially, I went down, did a apprenticeship with Raf, and found a, a room to rent. For 200 bucks, half a mile away from his facility. And it was a, a divorcee who was, was living there, had two extra rooms. And she didn't tell me this, but she had severe. severe liver disease. I forget the formal term. Didn't tell me that. 22 days into living with her for a four-month stint, 22 days in, and I come back from a cert. Uh, she's not there. And then the next day, like, uh, I come home from work in RAF for 14 hours, and this lady's like, oh, you must be the roommate. And I'll leave the cliffhanger. Yes,
1: I was hoping you were going to cliffhanger. I was hoping, I was hoping, because there is more. Mission
2: Dude, Impossible there through. is fucking more. Cliffhanger.
1: Ah, oh, good one, Tex. Good one. So, ladies and gentlemen, enough about us, enough about the symposium. Do not miss it. Uh, And then also quick time in. This is 20 seconds. November 12th. Wade's Day is right around the corner. You better participate if you don't know what's happening. Uh, Plug in Wade's Army on social media. Mm
2: -hmm. And rock poster shirt. if you got it at Ways Army, and we'll be reposting all day.
1: Now, on to the show. Very special show. You don't just have to be a coach to appreciate what this man has to say. We're talking with Ryan Horn, who's the director of sports performance of Met at Men's Basketball at Wake Forest. Uh, fucking handsome dude. Great beard. He's not going to listen to this, he already said, so we can give him all the compliments he wants. Oh, yeah. So, ladies, gentlemen, let's do this, and let's talk some fucking strength conditioning, some life. And we're about to tip off. Is that a pun. Are you working a pun in? Trying to. So bad. Ingo. All right, guys, let's jump shot this free throw for a double dribble and uh hoop-de-doop-dee go. For folks who may not know you, give a little background today of who you are and then how you got in your role.
3: Yeah, it's, it's always every time I tell the story, I think it gets a little bit different because as you get a little bit older, you start appreciating different things and mm-hmm. start reflecting on it a little bit more. But you no, know, I, I enjoy the I enjoy this this just being as candid as possible, even about my history as coach and and what we've been able to do and the staffs I've been a part of and the athletes I've had the pleasure of serving and working with, you know, it, it, looking back, I think it all really started for me. My brother was a, a a competitive bodybuilder. And I talk about this all the time, but I grew up watching him eating chicken, breast rice, and, and drinking the metric shakes when they first came out. And we had a garage gym and, you know, he's in there, he's, he's doing his thing and he would let me tag along and, I had a chance to see some of the the older guys and and the veterans uh, in the old Gold's Gym and powerhouses back in Detroit and and being able to go in there and watch those guys train. And, you know, that's kind of where I kind of caught that virus or that iron bug, so to speak, which I think all of us have at some point during our lives, you know, and it, it just really made sense. I started to play sports and and go on trips and go to camps. And I finally started to realize there's a person that gets paid to train and workout athletes and I remember coming out of a camp when I was my freshman year in high school and I went to a Kentucky football camp and I told my dad I said there's a guy in there that all he does is they lift weights and he trains them how to lift weights I want to do that my the look on my dad's face is like what is it all right you get paid to do that? I'm like, yeah. So I'm sure every father. My dad's a little a little different, but I'm sure every father, you know, has aspirations of their sons going on to be lawyers and doctors and all these different uh, privileged careers. And uh, it's a great privilege to be a coach. But same time, when I told my dad I want to be a strength coach, he had no idea what I even meant. I right. Still think and I still think some people nowadays <laughs> don't even know what it means. They still call you a weight coach. And I, I keep on coaching the weights, but they don't move. So I don't know. I have a <laughs> lot of different titles. But uh, but yeah, so going through high school, you know, I, I just enjoyed being in the weight room. I enjoyed preparing for football and track and field and doing the whole thing. And it was a part of me. Not only did it help me athletically and, and help me physically, but also helped me a lot just with my confidence, um, and, and being who I was and, and, dealing with, uh, being a little bit introverted and, and, it gave me a little bit of an edge. I think that I needed, um, to help me navigate through that part of my life. So, you know, moving on, went to college, um, was a lot more successful at training than I was at playing football in college. Shocker, <laughs> um, side note, you know, just because you're really good in the weight room doesn't mean you're going to be really good on the field. And I, and I found that out the hard way. Um, but, you know, I dealt with a lot of injuries, dealt with a lot of setbacks, and it, it's kind of funny, a lot of those setbacks and a lot of those regrets and things are all the stuff that I reflect on now that it really drove me to want to be a part of this and, right. and to want to do it so you can help, you know, what better way to combat your your fears and your enemies and your regrets than to help others not make the same mistakes that you made. So uh, going through college, you know, and I decided, hey, you know, this is something I want to do. And. And then uh, my wife had gotten pregnant um, right going into my junior year of college and uh, curveball, um, wanted Mm -hmm. to be a strength coach, wanted to intern, wanted to do that whole thing. uh, But you also got to put food on the table. Um, So I stopped playing sports, had some injuries. It was time to step away, move back home, um, went to a small school, Shepherd University. that was right down the road from where I'm from. And um, my wife and I we been together since middle school, um, and it, it was something that was ultimately going to happen anyways, but it started a little bit sooner than maybe we both um, had anticipated. Sure. Um, and now with the birth of my son coming, you know, I, I had to be put my big boy pants on, uh, go get a real job, go get a full-time job. And and, and I knew I wanted to be a strength coach, um, but the school I was at did not have a structured strength conditioning program. So you're at a place that really doesn't have it. And I remember paying my own way to go to these conferences and, and funny story. I, my first conference I ever went to was the NSCA coaches conference. It's where all the strength conditioning coaches are. And, and I was just enamored and starstruck and there was so so many you know shaved heads and goatees <laughs> and uh <laughs> nylon you know uh warm-ups Performance, yeah just the, the colors and the clicks and they're they're moving as like one as these little armies and you know football strength coaches are hanging with football strength coaches and all these different people work with these teams and I'm like I don't work with anybody I got a Hanes polo. Um, no one knows where I'm at. No one knows my name. Uh, I'm trying to, to speak with coaches because all I really have at this point is passion. I don't know anything. I have no idea uh, what's going on. I just knew this is what I wanted to do, and that was a crazy moment because you walk into that convention hall mm-hmm. and there's all these people, and I literally did not know a single person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never worked with anybody. I never trained a team in my life. I never did a, a dang dynamic warm-up with the team, much less actually coach one. So. I think early on I kind of knew what my purpose was and I had that passion for it. And I remember going to these conferences and looking back now and I can get that, you'll get to that a little bit later, but I can remember going to these conferences and just not necessarily ever being uh, not motivated by it. You know, I think sometimes people go to those things and I hear young coaches, I'm just discouraged. I don't know anybody. I'm never going to make it. I just, I was like, I got a lot of people I need to get to connect with. I mean, that was my mindset. I didn't look at it as like, Oh, what was me? I looked at it as like, I have a lot of coaches I need to meet. And, uh, I sent an email to Todd hammer, who was at George Mason. He was having a clinic. And I said, uh, Todd, you know, I know you're having a clinic. I'd love to come. Um, on a side note, uh, do you have any internships available? Cause this was the, probably about an hour away from where we were living. So I could go back and see my son and be with my wife. And, I'm like, can I do an internship with you? He's like, Yeah, come on down. I'd love to have you. Well, do you want my resume? No, I don't care. Um, that's fine. Just come work for me. We'll find something for you to do. Put you to work. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, all right, cool, you know. So I go to the clinic, I sit in the front row, you know, I got my gallon jug of water, you know, I had a lot of meat head in me, and I'm sitting <laughs> up there and I got my, my notebook out and all that stuff. And, and Todd had already given me the internship before he met me. Um, but I went into that, I had resumes with me and I knew some coaches were going to be there, um, that had some graduate assistant positions and stuff like that. So I was trying to hustle and, and think next step ahead. So I have this, this resume and, uh, and we're sitting there and all it really is, is my address and name, uh, my email, my phone number. And a bunch of irrelevant experience, like Hibbett Sporting Sporting Goods Store. Um, I worked in the lab. Um, I trained at a Gold's Gym. I don't really have uh, – I, I got a certification from USAW that I drove through a blizzard to go to at Ohio University. But I had nothing on my resume. So I, I handed it to Tim Contos, who's at BCU, And I knew he had a GA open, and I knew he was close with Todd Hammer. And I said, uh, sir, here is my resume. I, I know there's not much on it, but this is what I – Will really want to do. And I know you have a graduate assistant position available uh, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes, you know, to kind of get this position. So he looks at me like I'm crazy. And he looks at my resume and he's like, all right, well, you know, he sees his name on it, you know, it's entitled to him. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, he's like, well, I'll be in touch, which we'll see. I'll be in touch usually means I don't want to confront this right now. And I don't want to make things awkward, um, but I may or may not call you back. But uh, Tim ends up calling me back. And this this is kind of the last part of this run on story here. But uh, Tim calls me back and uh, I'm getting set to go to this internship at George Mason. Well, then I find out he took another job at Robert Morris. So now a one hour commute turns into a four and a half hour commute, which really made the wife happy. Um, So now I'm going to be driving back and forth. So I got that news. Well, then Tim hits me up and he's like, hey, I need you to make this video. And I want you to to do a couple of things. I want you to coach a squat and teach it. And I want you to be able to demo it. And I want you to teach an Olympic lift of your choice and be able to coach it. Then I want you to demo and, and coach the camera through an agility drill. I said, all right, well, I knew my resume sucked. So I'm like, I got, I got to knock this out of the park. So I go out, I buy a tripod. And even though I didn't have the money, I buy this tripod and video camera. I'm at the Gold's gym because I don't have a college weight room to train at. So I got, you know, 58 year old dude over here with a fanny pack fanny pack on. He's doing squats with a with a squat pad on. Yeah, with the his tampon. Background. Yeah, well, yeah. He's back there, and I'm looking in the camera like, well, it's too late now. So, Lord knows what he's doing back there. I got people walking in front of the camera, and here I am screaming like coaching in this Gold's Gym. You know, I got my USAW um, T-shirt on because that's the only T-shirt I had that was strength conditioning related, and I had my shirt tucked into my sweatpants. That was obviously, amazing. obviously, who doesn't? Um, so I got that in there. And then so I'm coaching these drills and everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, well, I got to do the agility drill. Well, where am I going to do it? Well, I'll just take some plates out there. I'm doing five ten five, five, which I know now it's not really an agility drill, but I, I do the five ten five. five. I just put weights out there and I'm out in the middle of the parking lot, the wind's like 30 miles an hour, right? So it's, it's wind screaming. I got cars going by me. They're beeping at me. And I'm like, all right. I'm like uh, Foley and Saturday night Live, <laughs> motivational speaker. I'm like, you know, you have to do this agility drill Get up in a van down by the river. If this doesn't work out for me. So I'm, I'm in there doing this agility drill. So I send it to, I send it to him. I do the intro and I told my wife, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, but, uh, we need it to work, you know? And she's, uh, like you to work out, you know his wife's always doing. No, oh, you're great! It was awesome. You're going to work out just fine. So I send it to him, and he's like, "I didn't even really pay attention to what you're saying, but the fact that you did it in the commercial gym and you were out in the parking lot, like that won me the job. It was different yeah. than everybody else. I'm sure everybody else was more qualified um, than what I was, but it's a it's a story I never really got a chance to tell on uh, any of the podcasts that I've done. Um, but now since we're just kind of freestyling, which I like, and we're just rapping um, it's a cool story because it's, you know, people see where they, where you are. It's like a big amusement park ride. They see you on the ride, Mm -hmm. but they don't really necessarily see you waiting in line with your kids, screaming, sweating, hungry for two and a half hours at Disney world. Like they don't see that part. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of funny how we all start out, but yeah, that, that was how I got into the field. Um, I did an internship there, went to VCU with, with Tim Contos and was a GA for about six or seven months. Then he brought me on full time Um, I was there for almost five years because I had a coach that was mentoring me. I had a coach that gave me autonomy and I had a coach that allowed me to make mistakes and and let me work through those mistakes. And he let me coach. Um, And and I think that freedom to me was highly important um, to challenge me and allow me to work through my mistakes. So that's why I never was in a hurry to leave. And then came a time where it was time to go. I went to the University of Tulsa working a ton of sports there and, and did that. And that's what led me this opportunity with coach Manning and we left the university of Tulsa, um, after some successful seasons there. And now we've been at wake forest. I'm starting my fifth year. I got to see my first class go all the way through, um, from start to finish, which is always cool to see these kids come in, um, and then leave and be able to graduate. So yeah, we're getting ready to start on Friday, which is tomorrow. Um, uh, mm-hmm. we got our first exhibition game, so we're right in the thick of things. So, uh, the nine month season is about to begin. So that's kind of where we're at. I won't elaborate too much more on that. Um, as far as the career, I'm sure people can Google that, but it's important. I think for people to realize when I was at that first conference, and I tell young coaches this all the time, the guys and the girls that didn't want to talk to me, then there's a number of them that want to eat dinner with us now. Sure. And I, and I never forgot that. And it wasn't because necessarily, it's not that I never forgot that, like I wanted to be spiteful or get revenge. I never forgot that because now that determines how I treat young coaches, how I treat interns, how I treat people trying to make their way and navigate this field. Mm-hmm. That's kind of always been that reminder. So I think that's important to kind of start off with that as we get into the, the jungle. That yeah, is man. Strength and conditioning.
1: Well, you know, tactically, let me ask you this. So, how, so you get notified to build up this, uh, this workout tape we'll call it right. Coaching. Yeah. Coaching. Coaching. Tape. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Exercise tape, whatever. Uh, what no. you want to call it? <laughs> so what was the turn time on that? Was that like same day turn and burn or did you take a couple days? Cause this is going to lead into All my right. next
3: rant. Well, I, it was, it was turn and burn now. I mean, it, it was, it was short notice. It was like yeah. an email. You know, I, I can't remember. I think I want to say I had 48 hours or so. It was only a couple of days that I mm-hmm. had, but like I said before, I didn't have a video camera and this is back in flip phone days. So you were doing it on your phone. So no it's way, like, yeah. all right, I got to go to circuit city. Circuit city doesn't even exist anymore, but I got to go to circuit city and figure this out. Cause I have nothing that I needed to be able to do it. And I, I also never circuit a, city, a, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I never even I had put a, a video had a career on a there. laptop. Yeah. <laughs> so like, much less, I've never made a video like that. I never put one on a laptop and created a DVD and burned it. So that was like use a laptop um, as a video camera. yeah it was like one of those (laughs) so it was uh it was quite the thing so i was learning how to how to be a director i was learning how to coach and 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 i look back now i didn't really know anything i was just running around
1: but ryan i'm sure sure as you look back and you probably you are in the position now to field resumes and internship requests you know and and we and the lesson to be learned here is just fucking like corny it's the Nike. Just fucking do, do something, right? And that's what, you know, we joke around uh, with our interns or folks coming in, new hires, and they're like, well, I don't want to do anything wrong. We're like, we don't give a fuck if it's wrong. Like, we want to see you moving at 100 miles an hour. When you earn the right and we the expectation of getting shit done correctly, you'll know that you can't get it wrong, right? But out of the gate, man, I mean... You, You see a kid who turns 24 in 24 hours. Guy probably knows like, Hey, we're just dipshit fucking muscle heads. who know how to lift weights. We don't know what the fuck a camera is. Right. He's like this kid turned this thing in two days and did it in, uh, in this austere environment of gold's gym in the parking lot. Like he clearly has the drive. Right. And I think that for listeners, whether they're in the strength game, iron game, aspiring coach, aspiring intern, whether or not you're a fucking corporate desk jockey, who's trying to get a raise from their boss, like, and that's the mindset is just line it up and knock it down
3: with fucking fury of a thousand suns. Right? Yeah. I think you just got to find a way to make an impact. Like you always got to be relentless. So if you don't know a lot and you don't have a huge knowledge base or experience, then you better be a workhorse and, and you got to find a way to close that gap. And I think, uh, you know, across our career, um, as we get a little bit older. It's funny. You realize you don't really know anything. Um, yeah. so it's kind of like this inverse thing. You start off thinking you got it all figured out cause you read the textbooks. And then as you go through the field, you start to realize that you know less and less and less. You become more curious. Then um, you also become more uh, open to admitting that you don't know. You're okay with saying, I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. You're okay with learning the positives from coaches and not trying to deconstruct them all the time and, and point out their faults or things that they don't do well. You start looking at, like, okay, this coach has been in this position for 25 years, which is rare. Um, what does he or she do extremely well that allows them to stay in this position? Not what I would do different. Oh, their elbows aren't high enough when they rack their cleans. I mean, like whatever it is, it's so, it doesn't matter at that point. Like what matters is what does this person leverage from their strengths that allows them to, to have a niche and dominate this area of mm-hmm. our field. And I think that's something that comes with maturity, but it's also something that comes with more dr- directed and purposeful curiosity.
1: Yeah. And just it, having the, what, what, what i call global awareness to recognize this person has been doing this for 25 years. And that's a significant, that's a significant data point and exactly. it's worth exploring. And I don't know, I'm trying to think, like, I, I just look back to when I was fucking like in my twenties, I was retarded, like I was an idiot, you know, like I, and it's just, you start to learn how to f- just, pay better attention to little details like that that have significant impact and allow you to explore, like you said, like there's an expertise here. Uh, let me go, let me go crack the bone and suck the marrow out and see what's going on there.
2: Exactly. I, 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 I'm on a, this music kick. I went to a, a concert last weekend and just, uh, I don't know, a song that I've heard a thousand times hit me differently. And the- Was this the Hanson concert in Bop? Mm, yep. the the lyrics hit me a little bit different and the guy is speaking about writing songs and I guess on the road and traveling with musicians uh, he knows the difference between guys who are going to share music and talk about music and maybe develop a song together versus the guys that are looking to compete against one another Exactly. and I often think I don't know why it hit me like that wow just thinking back to coaching and uh, as you talk about conferences man the guys that are open and not looking at the logos on the chest to go connect with friends, create new friends, versus compete there. I, I heard that lyric and I was like, man, this. And then this conversation we're having now, Ron, I was like, wow, this is not a competition. Coaching is not a competition. We are in it for the athletes. We're all in it to develop these young men and women and put them in a position, take them where they can't take themselves, and man, enjoy the. the beauty that is sport movement, athleticism, and, you know, creating an opportunity for them to have a memory they'll never forget. So it's a very welcome conversation, I guess, timely, Ryan, that that you're here, especially before basketball season kicks off.
3: Yeah. I think you make a great point, like performance and, and, and improving, you know, these athletes preparedness and, and coaching in general, it's all about collaboration, not competition, right? So there's this, there's this point in your career where you finally realize let's work to improve each other, not to impress each other. And, and and you reach this bridge where you're like, this is what really matters. And then you start to understand, well, if I, if we can help each other right now over the course of this podcast, then we can, ho- we can help more athletes. That's all we got into it for. We all wanted to help athletes. And in turn, we're able to help ourselves. But in theory, and I, I talked to Brett Bartholomew about this. And it's like one of those things, like, if you want to increase your reach and cast a a larger net, then help more coaches. Mm -hmm. Like then you can help more athletes. And I think, you know, when you, if you complain about the field, if you complain about your situation and you really want to make the profession better and you want to make people better, then we got to make each other better. And, Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we're fighting and jockeying for positions and jobs and and people want notoriety and they want attention. And, and, and in the end, it's like just glorify your athletes efforts um, and, and be able to, you know, help one another, I think, ultimately. Um, but you bring up a great point of, of just the importance of not necessarily competing with one another, but trying to collaborate um, and make make each other better. Which but I it's ho- I mean, your fucking field is so competitive, man. It's extremely competitive because there's only a handful of people talk about all the time. Like, Oh, how do I get into this? You know, everybody recycles the same coaches and ABC and D But the fact of the matter is, if you want to be a division one strength conditioning coach for football, let's say there's only 300 something guys or girls uh-huh. that are able to do that. I don't care how you slice it. I don't care how good you are, whatever it may be. There's 5,000 coaches that want to get that one position, right? There's yeah. only 300 of them for, for my position. I only work, just men's basketball. I have one team. That's all I do. Um, and, and I'm a part of the coaching staff. I'm not under a strength conditioning necessarily umbrella. There's only a handful of me in the country Um, and I'm blessed to be in this position, but that's just the nature of the beast. So it also creates a lot of gap and you can pay a coach half as much because they'll take the job Mm -hmm. and and they're going to step right up and get it. It also creates that competition. Like, should I help this guy or girl? Or are they going to try to take my job? So it right. creates this, this this artificial and this imaginary wedge that just doesn't need to be there. Because ultimately, if you do what you're supposed to do, um, and you're a highly skilled practitioner, and you do your job, you know, I'm not worried about it. I'm, that's not something that, that at night, when I, when I stay up at night, that's not what's on my mind. Mm-hmm. I think that, but you're right, it, it's super competitive. And I think that'll either motivate some and, and and sharpen their edge a little bit or some just do not like it they can't handle it or they don't want to be a part of it um and they can get nasty quick but but yeah it's a great point
1: yeah man it's the irony is you know you were talking about like parents aspirations for their kids like doctor and lawyer and at this point man it's probably fucking easier just to go to med
3: school become a doctor and
0: division one division one
3: strength coach I mean, honestly, it is. It might be. And I think looking at it now, it's crazy because a lot of the negativity that you hear or you see, it's, you know, there's a lot of people that have a high level of resentment um, if they're not able to get an opportunity or they're forced out of an opportunity. And it just throws a shadow just over the field, there's a lot of great things that are going on. It's like, yeah, if you turn on the news, you know, you'll learn, you'll lose all faith in humanity. I mean, but at the same time, like social media can do that to coaching. Mm-hmm. But if you, I, there's a lot of great things and there's a lot of great people um, in this field that are trying to go about it the right way, that are keeping their athletes the best interests in minds. And I think we got to at least try to highlight that a little bit. And, right. and I think I take that personally. And I, I think, we all share a responsibility to do it, um, but people will be like, "Oh, yeah. Well, you're just super positive, and you're, you're a good. I'm. I'm real. I'm just realistic, but I also can just dwell on all the other bad stuff that's going on, or we can, you know, acknowledge those problems, but at the same time, be able to promote this platform in a way that makes people want to be around it, want to invest in it. Mm-hmm. But
2: that. There's analogy with sport as well. And I'm sure you know this well. Like you said, you, you've seen your first class go through. And maybe one athlete is a junior or senior starting. And then the next year, they bring in a guy that is better. And we mm-hmm. see the character come out. Do they put the team first? Do they put the industry, the team first? And, you know, coach, coach up that younger individual to put them in a better position for the team to succeed. And the... I saw this at uh, as a uh, Division three lacrosse player, right? I wasn't the best person on the team. We had guys who were more talented come in, but it was a team first approach. I'm two sides to that. I'm not. I'm going to work my ass off and not let them take my job. But at the same time, I'm going to coach them up, and put them in the best opportunity to take my job because then we'll win. So, have you seen any any character come out? And I guess we can talk about past athletes or that situation in in your coaching career where athletes maybe put the team first or get selfish and then it ultimately does not need a reality check. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think you you got to be able to respond to that pressure. And I think a lot of it comes down to understanding, like, what's good for the team is good for you. Um, and I think that when you're able to have that team first, and that doesn't mean you're not competitive. That doesn't mean that if you get pulled from a game or you get pulled from position, you're not gonna be upset about it, it doesn't mean that you don't want to beat that guy or girl out. You know, what it means is you both share, you know, a responsibility of uh, really guardians of that standard that 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 team has set in place that we're going to operate, you know, our actions or our behaviors are going to be reflective of what we're ultimately trying to achieve as a group. So I think it's human nature to, to see that threat. Um, it's human nature um, to do those things, but the best players I've been around um, were so focused on the team and so focused on improving and winning. They knew that their skill and their ability was going to take care of itself. And I think that's a big jump that you see from player to player and those relationships of how they mentor those guys. A walk-on is a perfect example. I love, you know, walk-ons. And and the reason why I love them is because those guys, their passion, they don't have any bias. Like they're not fighting for minutes. Like most aren't. So like when they celebrate and get happy, but it's also, those are the guys that when they get in the game, it's a good sign because one that, you know, it's either means that you're up and and you got to lead and those guys get some burn and they get some minutes or it could be bad that the game's out of reach. Um, and you're putting those guys in there, but when they're successful, the whole bench is lit. I mean, everybody, everybody loves it. Like they're the crowd screaming, the guys are screaming, the girls are screaming, whatever it may be, is because they're not a threat necessarily. You know, when, when, when a guy subs in or a girl subs in for you and they, you guys play the same position, Let's say it's football and you play running back, and this guy reels off a hundred-yard game, and you're struggling. You're not getting any any yards, and you're not you're not producing. You know, you're going to be mad that you weren't able to perform. But at the same time, you're kind of like, "Yeah, good job." You know, he scored six touchdowns, and I haven't scored six touchdowns all year. So there is that little bit inside of you. um, But I think a lot of it, when you get into coaching, we kind of acknowledge what a good teammate is or a great teammate is. Why? Because we've all been bad teammates. Because you've went through that experience. I've had moments when I was a bad teammate. I remember in high school, I went back for a, for a Hall of Fame ceremony and we got a chance to, to spend time with our high school football coaches. And the new coach asked, said, Hey, do you, do you want your stats? Your are BBC. Did you know that? And I said, and He's like, Why? I was like, Why didn't share individual stats? He said, The only stats that mattered were wins and losses in the scoreboard. That's it. So we went over individual stats. Like you play, take pair and those type of things. But unless you was in the newspaper, you didn't really necessarily know about it because it was always team first. And you and to me, going back to that high school, that was as pure as it can be, Um, because we grew up playing together with these guys since I was eight years old, nine years old. You know, you grew up watching Friday Night Lights. You go there and when you get a chance to do that, that's why it's so special. So you're trying to recreate that amount of pride and and that, that type of brother or sisterhood in college. um, But it's special, man. And that's what makes sports special. But I think athletes need to know at the same time, you're coming from a place of experience, not so from a place of judgment, right? So when you're giving them input and you're trying to help them navigate this thing, you're also trying to say, Hey, I've been there. You know, I've been upset when I didn't play or I've been upset and had bad body language on the sideline or in the game because I made a mistake. And this is how it affected me. And this is how it affected the team. You don't want to be in that position. So, but yeah, that's kind of where I go with it. So
2: let's dive into some of your approaches. I know that division one basketball, there is no offseason almost. So in your weight room, how do you cultivate and build up that camaraderie? that uh, you got all these guys from all over the country coming together and how do you start to mold that team like you talked about with your, your high school players and the guys you grew up with how do you create that in such a short window that you have the opportunity to work with these young
3: men and the old c word right the the, the culture word i mean you can probably turn on you know go on twitter right now and you'll see culture 9 million times like that's the word that's really thrown around. But I think before you even start in the weight room, especially in collegiate athletics, you know, what's the head coach's vision for the team? I think a lot of times the strength conditioning coaches or anything else, or even as a business, like it's not my culture, like it's, it's our culture and and it's more like a Petri dish than it is a puzzle. Like it's a living breathing kind of dynamic thing. And that's what makes it hard because it requires you to care and compete consistently. So when you're looking at the weight room and the reason why I love the weight room, it doesn't care if you were McDonald's all American, it doesn't care if you're a one star, two star, five star, it doesn't matter. It only rewards those that put the effort in. And that's the great thing about it. It's the one place for our team that honestly, everybody's really equal um, as far as opportunity equal in the amount of work that you get in the amount of the opportunity that you have. Everybody has five sets today. You know, how you own your rep and own your set isn't determined what you get out of it. This isn't playing minutes. Um, And I think that's something for me that makes the weight room so special. When so when you talk about building the camaraderie, put people in a position where they have to work. Put people in a position where they have to care genuinely. They have to be authentic. They have to be vulnerable. They have to, you know, show some level of vulnerability then put a little bit of adversity on them, watch how they respond, let their teammates see how they respond. And when people do that consistently, it's like anything else, those bonds just start to grow because you have shared suffering, you have shared successes, you have opportunities to create you know a structure that allows for that vulnerability to take place and that authenticity to come out. But at the same time, you can always bounce back and do something positive on the backside of it. So you can kind of orchestrate that environment and be able to deliver those things in a way that creates something that's not only productive, but safe. Like guys feel safe in those four walls. They feel safe that they can be themselves. They can dance with a little bit when they need to, if they're doing what they're supposed to do, they can, they can compete with their teammates. You know, it's somewhat selfish at times because you're trying to improve yourself and develop as a player. Um, But it's consistent. It's stable. Now, it makes us hard for us as coaches because we don't we can't have bad days like they know Coach Horn. They know Coach Kerr, my assistant. And you need to be that every day because that's what you're supposed to be. And that's why we're in it. So like we have to be able to leave that at the door. But I mean, that's how you build it. There's no secret sauce. There's no book that you can read that can teach you how to do that. You just have to immerse yourself into it and be completely present. And I think when you're looking at kind of developing those bonds and that brotherhood, you know, I, I fail to see a lot of, you know, at Bud's, I don't see a lot of instructors walking around with their Instagram story. And I've been there and, and I had to call myself out on it. You know, we were videoing everything and showing everything you know, to, the, to all of our followers, as we talked about before. Right. You know, you're showing them what we're doing, but you're not present. If I'm worried about pushing a button, I wasn't present. So that was a big turning point for me this summer because we had 10 new guys. We had a lot of new guys come in. And you only have a team of 15 to 17. I got to be present. I got to be available. And I have to be vulnerable. If we say no cell phones in the weight room, well, I can't have my cell phone in the weight room. So that was like a, a reality check for me. But I think it, it's very important to be consistent. It's very important for us as a coach to care and compete just like you asked them to do. But that's how you do it with work. I mean, that's what makes it all worth it. There's no secret sauce there.
1: So when did you realize that? When did when did presence, full immersion into the experience, into, uh, into the team, when did you come about that? Was it just you always knew? Was it a, a mentorship point?
3: No, I, I mean you think you're being present. Like you tell yourself you're being present. And I think what's taught me the importance of being available and being present more than anything is being a parent. Um, I don't necessarily get a lot of time with my kids every day. Um, There's times we're rushing home from practice, like last night's Halloween. You know, when we're getting home, they're taking the costumes off. So you might only get 10 minutes, but as a coach and as a man, as a, as a husband, as a father, as a wife, and as a mom, you better make those 10 minutes count. You better be present. Like I, my phone goes upstairs next to my bed. It doesn't go downstairs. I don't work from home anymore. So there there's things like that. We were like, well, I've been present with them and they like being on story. They like doing that. So I'll do that for them. But like, I'm like, I'm missing out on some opportunities. The time that I was filming a guy for 15 seconds or I was doing something else, I was missing the conversation. And when you have a young team you realize how important, you know it all the time, but how important the, the the communication is in between the sets and the reps and the weight changes. And when you're going from exercise to exercise or going over the sheet and sometimes going over the sheet ain't going over the sheet is I need to talk to you. Um, right. Can we do that? So I think that's a turning point for me. And I, I honestly, like we've had, you know, Bill rebuilding this program, we've struggled. Um, we've dealt with a lot of adversity. Um, we've, we've dealt with some success and we've dealt with, with losing and we've dealt with some winning, but we've lost. Um, and when you're put in that situation, you take a step back and you're really looking at like, what's my identity is my whole life wrapped into what happens twice a week. Like if we win or lose, is that what my whole life's going to be predicated on? And when you go home, you're still a dad. When you go home, you're still a husband. When you go into that weight room, those guys are looking to you saying, this isn't about minutes. This isn't about wins and losses or playing a different team last night. Just be you and, and let us come in here and, and give ourselves to this program and give ourselves to mm-hmm. what we're doing um, and let them be present too. And it's amazing when you reflect that, it's projected back. Sure. And that was a big turning point for me.
1: Yeah. To give, to give you some background on McQuilkin and I, we spent five years on the road, traveling, uh, putting on seminars for 20 to 40 people at a time, all over Europe, Australia, the States. And uh, man, I, you know, as we started to hit our stride, it became about what we would call the experience. We'd say manage the experience, right? And, you know, it's a little different environment, right?
3: These, exactly. uh, th- these people are investing
1: in us to inform them. But um like you, you just, you turn it on and you fucking go, man. And you like, you do just dump it all out there. And I'll tell you what, a lot of the folks that come in and that would project that back, they're still in our network five, six years ago, you know, and, uh, and you you go on these trips in parallel to that and mostly general pop private facilities, right? Uh, we'd, we'd jump in on Fridays. It was a Saturday-Sunday clinic. We'd jump in on Fridays and watch the classes go and talk about just, be like, Friday fucking night, dude. The, the, many of the Friday night coaches at these po- spots, again, gen pop, not sports performance per se, I mean, they might as well have been a fucking shell of a human being, right? And then it was just frustrating. So, I, you know, we have a lot of those coaches on here. Come on. They just... It's but it's fucking hard, man. It is hard to do that.
2: That that's their experience. That what that's what they think coaching is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of I guess the those private those micro gym. You get your members (laughs) into it. They understand your system approach culture, and then they step up and become coaches. Right. But then at the the collegiate level, you're coming from sports more often than not. Yeah. And then guys. Guys like Ryan, you have the opportunity. I'm sure you've worked with some amazing sport coaches that are that are great at connecting, motivating, and the pregame speeches you've heard. I can't imagine. So it's a it's an opportunity for him to learn what works, what connects, what motivates, and gradually become his himself, I imagine. But it's just the experience, opportunity, exposure. It's different in, in sport, in my opinion, than micro gym. And what we brought. Was the, the sport aspect of it? Right. The fun, the weight room. Brought you know? the
1: action bitches. Yeah. That's what we bring. So it's a different culture. And I guess lesson learned too is like, go, it's hard, you know, and we we, we run a two day uh, at the ranch here as well. It's coaches' evaluation, and we've had some folks intern on it that have gone through it. And it's enough. An, so it's our, we call it our block one evaluation, Ryan. Right? And let me just tell you, it's two it's hard days. Like these guys, we're, we're testing these guys to test their see what they're made of, not only as coaches, but as individuals, right? So it's hard. And people walk out fucking, I promise you, 100% walk out better versions of themselves, if, whether they pass or not. But some folks have got to work on the other side of it. And they're like, this is fucking, running this thing is harder than going through it. And, it. and it is because you're you're invested in all 20 of those individuals in that testing evaluation and getting into that and going into the coaching side of things. And if you're truly a transformational coach and you're investing Every, all your effort into the athletes in front of you, like it's it's exactly like you were talking about the weight room. You're going you're you're going to get out of it what you put into it. So you, if you're not fucking absolutely smashed after a class or after a session, then you're not fucking you're not immersing yourself into it, right? And I love that word, like just immersion, where it's like tunnel vision. It's like if you're playing baseball and all you see is a little fucking white ball coming at you versus the field and the backdrop. Like having that tunnel vision on the coaching responsibility at that moment, at that day, however you want to chop up time.
3: Yeah. And you, and you but the word immersion too also means you leave everything else behind. Mm-hmm. Like you're not bringing the traffic jam to the 7.30 a.m. session. Like you're not bringing, you get there early, you get a sweat going. When those guys walk in, they know it's time to work. And they know that because of the one, two, three, four years that you've been there, you've been consistent with how you've approached these training sessions. They know what's important to you based on your actions and your behaviors. And you said it before, like people want to watch you guys burn, Like they see you burn. It's like well, I got, I got to get this level. I got to get to that level. I got to give it back. And, and the hard thing with a coach is you can't turn it off because you're trying to get that out of 15, 20, 30 football group. Maybe you're training 50, 60, 70 guys. Like, it's hard going rack to rack doing that. That's why it takes a special individual. But, like, immersing yourself in that, then you start to realize you have a greater appreciation for it because you know the reward came because there was some toil that was attached to it, not because it was easy. Easy things are easy. Just to let go. I didn't work for this. Blah blah blah. You let it go. But like, yeah, people got to understand that. Like, you got to be where your feet are, and you got to leave it at the mm-hmm. door. And it's hard for some coaches to be able to do that because you got other stuff going on. But it's not your responsibility to project your insecurities, your issues, your weaknesses on to them at that moment. Because for that sixty minutes, you got to be that dude or you got to be that girl. Like, you got to be what you need to be. To maximize that moment for those kids. And it's like anything else, you know, if you don't show up and you don't do that, um, it's gonna be short-lived. I mean, comfort's a killer, man. Comfort's a coaching killer. It really is. And you made a good point too about auditing. Like when's the last time some of these places, whether it's collegiate, whether it's professional, whether it's a, a micro box or a private facility, when have they brought other coaches in to audit what right. they're doing? Because it's comfortable. It's a lot easier for me to get a bunch of young girls. And guys around me saying, oh my gosh, you're so smart. Like you, the way you say things and do the A, B, C, and D, like everybody likes to hear about how great they are. But does that really challenge you? Like, it's better to bring another coach in. And I love having visitors. I bring them in all the time. Like, hey, come on in, let me see. Then I ask them, no BS. What did you see? Like, what did you like? You know, what did you not like? Like, what's one thing you're going to take away from this? I need to know one thing when you leave on Tuesday And you have your groups Wednesday morning that you're going to try to implement. And you want to get that hard information. Just like you want to get that hard information from your athletes that makes you uncomfortable. But if you just surround yourself with an audience that provides affirmation, you're doing your athletes and yourself a disservice. Yeah. That pride versus ego. Sometimes ego
2: catches up to you versus being very proud of your journey, your path, your methodology, your approach. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a very extensive sport coaching career. So soccer, field, hockey, golf, not just basketball. Yeah. How did you get to that basketball only position? And was there
3: lessons learned and takeaways from working with all these different sports that you bring to basketball? My first sport was field hockey. And uh, I received the phone call like you're going to work field hockey track and field. And I said, field hockey. I thought hockey was only played on ice. And, uh, and you know, and, and you start hearing about these sports and i and the thing to me is like, I don't know how coaches can't work all these sports and get to a point where they're comfortable connecting and training kids. Like to me, that's the best thing to ever happen to me. Like working golf, working soccers working. Cause each one of those moments inspired me to dive down another rabbit hole, so to speak, right? So you work with field hockey, number one complaint of field hockey players is low back pain, because they, they basically run around and it's the squats. No, it's not the squats. You run around, bend over for 70 minutes like that. That's the problem. So yeah, to one side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're so you're looking at this sport, you're saying, Okay, here's an issue. Here's a here's the pros and cons. Here's the cost of doing business, you work with track and field. Well, track and field caused me to jump down the Charlie Francis, the Verkashansky, the um, the Nader hole. So I jumped down that hole. So you're learning about track and field. You're learning about how to train these athletes to have these, you know, the small amount of some qualities that you need to train to ultimately affect high levels of performance. They have multi peaks. Like it's a different game than working week in and week out. Then I go to soccer And I love being in the weight room. I love training speed, power, strength. Well, then I started training soccer and they want sports science. They want technology. They want energy systems development. Well, your boy did not have any exposure to that. So when I took over soccer, I had to get up to speed. So now I can jump down that rabbit hole learning. Okay, I got to go to Dick's and I got to buy a heart rate monitor and I got to figure out what Val the and Mark McLaughlin and, and Cal Dietz and all these guys, what they're meaning with all these heart rate ranges and all this different stuff. Like I got to use this Joel Jameson. Like, so I go to Dick's, I buy the heart rate monitor. We're running back and forth in between reps. I only got one. i only have 40 bucks. So I give one and we're just rotating these watches and you're figuring this stuff out. But like without that, that leap of faith and just jumping and then finding, hopefully finding the stairs once you fall off, there's no jumping down those rabbit holes. So if I look back on my career, how did I get to basketball? I don't know. That's a good question. And I didn't start off wanting to be a basketball specialist or a basketball strength conditioning coach. I just wanted to coach. I didn't care if it was soccer. I didn't care if it was crew. I mean, I've trained a multitude from fighters to to golfers to whatever. And it never, for me, was about being a football guy or being a basketball guy. Um, It just wasn't. So I think that helped me a ton because I wasn't limiting myself. I wasn't trying to pigeonhole myself in this one opportunity. Um, So I think that's kind of when I look back where I'm at now. The opportunities just led me here. Um, I had an opportunity I was at a university of Tulsa. I didn't work with basketball when I was at VCU. I helped, but I didn't work with them, but I was around them a lot. This job pops open based on a discussion that I was having with someone else that I never met. I made a phone call to a guy, Landon Evans, used to talk on lead FTS. Now he's at Iowa. Um, great friend of mine. We talked back and forth about powerlifting training, never met him in my life. Then I got a call about a job because he recommended me for it based on our conversations hmm. on the phone off a cold call. So then you get that job. I haven't worked as much basketball as I needed. hadn't worked football in years, Um, but that's what the job required. So you have to make sure you get those experiences and then jump right into it. So I think I'm in this position now because I want to be able to shape, you know, really shape my career really around the life that I want to live. Like that's it. So basketball to me, I love it because yeah, we travel a lot. Yeah, we're nine months out, but I have 15 to 17 guys. I have a head coach that I work for that allows a certain level of autonomy. So I can be at donuts with dad. I can be at daddy daughter dances. I can bring my daughter to practice and then take her out to her field hockey practice at campus. Like I can do those things. And that's more important to me than anything. Um, And I think even the people I surround myself with, like my assistant AJ curves phenomenal, but at the same time, we got him in that position. You know, I could have been selfish and said, Hey, I want, I want that. But no, if I put him in that position, if we put him in that position to help him achieve what he needs to achieve, it improves my quality of life. Because now if we have to receive a delivery or I have to do something in the weight room, I can jet out a little bit earlier, or do whatever, because we can help each other instead of being on an Island by myself. Now I can make it to more things I can be available and present for my family as well. So that's how I got the basketball. It, it kind of just, now I'm here. I look back now, I've trained all these teams. I've done all these things and worked with all these great athletes, but at the same time, like, that's how I'm here. So people always ask that though, is you always want to be basketball? No, cause I can't shoot a jump shot. <laughs> La- last time I played organized basketball was seventh grade when they said, Hey, bro, you better stick with football. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was it. I remember doing the run and I was like, yeah, I'm good with this. I can't dribble. I don't got a jump shot. I'm good. I'll pass on this. So I, I can person shoot, shoot bros, but that's, that's about to like have really any pedigree in the game. So, but at the same time, my job working with basketball players doesn't necessarily require that because they're getting all the skill work that they need. So as far as being a general physical preparation coach, that's exactly what I am. So it's a good fit for all of us.
1: So any barrier there for you? I mean, okay. So you're, you're fucking a beefy dude who can't dribble, can't make a free throw <laughs> to fucking save his life. I understand. Listen, we're you're speaking my language. If you were to put me in front of like, so a bunch of like six, six dudes who've been playing ball their whole life, who were fucking savages. Like, is there was there or is there any sort of like? How do you do? You have to
3: prove yourself. Did you? I mean, but then again, like all they wanted you to do is be you. Yeah. They imp- they appreciate authenticity. They would rather have me say that I can't make a jump shot than have me act like I can. Yeah. Um, and they know I I'm very specific about where my expertise starts and, and where it ends and yeah, how I yeah. can help you and how I can't. But mm-hmm. I know I stay, I mean, I'm six foot tall. I stand around these guys, all of them tower over me. You know, when right. I talk, I don't, I don't talk into their ear. I talk into their armpits. Like, Hey mm-hmm. bro, you look up at them like a little kid. You're like, Hey man, make sure you, you know, rebound, man, get on the floor. Let's play hard. Let's do what we need to do. But at the same time, like I'm not trying to be anybody that I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're letting them know how we can help them um, and how we can connect with them so we can communicate. But I mean, no, I, I don't have any, there's no anxiety there. I mean, I've walked in, I've had the pleasure and the, and I've been blessed to play at a lot of great historical venues and, and, and do all those types of things. And not once have they ever asked me to jump off the bench, go out there and make a play. So I'm, (laughs) I'm still, I'm still safe from that, but no, that doesn't necessarily. So have you ever jumped in on like a pickup game with these guys? Now here's some rules for this. And I've posted this on social media before. There's a couple spots that you want. If you can't ball, you need to know. So there's a couple things. One, don't jump in. on pickup pick up with the guys staff, actually staff noon ball. You don't want to jump in on that either. That can get pretty, pretty aggressive. But when you're with the players, there's a couple rules you need to follow. Set shots only don't dribble. And if they ever, and if they ever ask you to play one-on-one, You say no, because they're going to have you on skates out there and they're going to drop you. And it's going to be all over Snapchat, Instagram, (laughs) maybe even Barstool barstool, and you're going to get filleted. And it's going to be bad news bears for everybody. So you will not catch me. Once they start dribbling in front of me, asking me to play post-defense, you are not dunking on me. I don't stand under the basket. Not happening. I don't stand around it. I don't stand under it. I'm not on the perimeter. That's no man's land. Like, you're out there. You're asking for trouble. So either I'm going to end up hurt and I'm not going to be able to walk So I'm going to blow something out and or I have nothing to prove out there. I have nothing to prove. You will happen in on the bench press in the weight room at the good thing now. I'm not really that strong. But I deal with a lot of basketball players, so they're not necessarily these big, big, strong linemen and, and football players. So right. I can still hop in, and, and it's all relative. So if they bench sure. 225, you can bench three plates, like you're, you're the strongest man in the world. Um, <laughs> so you got to so you know your audience a little bit of yeah, uh, sure. what's going on. But yeah, I love it. Though I kind of love it because I don't really have that experience. So it allows me to, we talk about it now, like whether you're training collegiate athletes or you're training in the private sector, like we train humans, man. Like it's human first, athlete second. And and that's the problem. When you start treating them just like athletes, like I don't train basketball players. I think sports specificity, like our job is to give them the biomotor and bioenergetic potential and the ability to maximize those abilities and qualities. And then let the game, let practice, let skill development, especially in basketball, (sighs) That'll take care of itself. And football, it's a little bit different because you're not getting as much skill development. So I think there's a little bit more need for you to kind of, you know, try to bridge that gap from a uh, dynamics perspective and movement perspective. But in basketball, my guys live on the court all the time. They're snapping their Instagram story in 1 a.m., you know, got the gun, 500 shots. You know, they're gym rats. They love being in there. They love doing that. So skill development is the last thing on my mind. Like my whole goal is to give them the physical and mental resources they need to perform at whatever capacity that they have and, and then being able to do that. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it's affected it. But.
1: And now on, on your end, are you seeing young kids come in with experience under a barbell, under weights? Because, you know, we've talked to a couple, a couple other strength coaches in, in basketball, and then traditionally those guys are adverse to – to lift the weights, they want to throw the shot off, or they've had coaches who believe that being that have developed them. Right. So they come into a program now with dedicated training. Uh, I'm just curious if you're seeing a shift in that or.
3: Yeah. Or what your perspective is. You have seen a shift because the guys, the next level are being more open about sharing it. So LeBron's sharing his workouts on Instagram. He's sharing how much money he puts into protecting the asset. So two things that we always try to bridge the gap with our performance program to our guys. One, protect the asset, and the asset is you. Um, So training allows you to to basically gives you an insurance policy, and it gives you the ability to make sure that you're happy habits are helping you they're not hindering you right so we we speak in those terms so if i'm dealing with a guy that wants to be a pro we tell every guy that we have from day one be a pro be a pro in the classroom be a pro in the weight room and they're like what's that mean coach i'm not getting paid be a pro means that you understand that you have to make sacrifices the other 22 hours of the day you have to make sacrifices in how you feel yourself. How do you recover? How do you sleep? You might have to go home on Saturday night when everybody else is staying because you got to get ready for practice, you know, whatever it may be. So like, that's what you're always trying to preach to those guys, but they come in a lot of times they're overworked. Um, they're underfed and then they're over So a lot of the basketball guys and girls that we're getting have done a lot of work on the court, but they got this upside down pyramid, right? So they have no base level of physical preparation, but they're also highly skilled athlete elite athlete doesn't mean elite preparation. And I think we get that mixed up a lot. We see these guys run, jump, dunk and doing the whole deal. And we think that makes them resilient and robust. They might just be great in spite of what they're doing, not because Mm -hmm. of it. And the same thing goes for me. So just because a guy can jump out the gym doesn't mean that he's resilient and robust and he's physically prepared because the guy that can jump out the gym, the plane that can take off, but that plane can't land. They don't have any brakes. They can't decelerate Um, their body composition is not what it needs to be. Their aerobic capacity isn't what it needs to be. That risk profile for them is going to be higher. So a lot of times it's not necessarily that they don't want to train or they're afraid of it. It's either lack of exposure, lack of consistency just as the nature of AU basketball. They just play so much. That's all these guys do. They don't get an off season. Like last time, you know, I mean, most of the time what they need isn't necessarily more work. It's an off season because they just don't get it. Um, so that's kind of what we're seeing right now. And, but I've had a lot of, I've seen a change in how excited and how interested the guys are in the weight room, like the last couple of years. Like they come in asking questions about, oh, this is the weight room, A, B, C, and D. Do you see this guy's workouts? Do you see this guy doing this on Instagram? So. There's a lot of stuff on Instagram that hurts our field, but there's also, a lot of stuff on, yeah. there's also a lot of stuff on Instagram that helps us too.
1: Yeah, and I would just, man, you figure like you're 18, 19-year-old kid, you have this dude here who can get you jacked. Pick up some shit. Like, why wouldn't you just totally invest in, in the fucking weight room?
2: One of Mike Hill from Georgetown Moves, he reads men's health, men's fitness, all those bullshit magazines. because Mike's my guy, man. Oh, yeah.
3: I, Mike's my guy. I know him well. Yeah, he's a great dude. So he reads all those magazines off the
2: shelf because he knows his guys are picking them. Okay, all right. Covers. And so exactly. he can defend or support and kind of guide their, their understanding of, mm-hmm. of their bodies.
1: Yeah, I mean, it comes into making the connection, right? I, I, I feel like I just belabor that point when you're working with a young kid and you're in an opportunity to be a mentor in some facet of their life. If you can't make the connection, you're never going to you're never going to have success. And that goes back to what you're talking about, Ryan, in terms of, uh, you know, they're humans, right? The individual make a connection with the individual. Everything else will just fall in line. If you fucking just be a normal dude, you're consistent and you try to make that connection.
3: But think about it, too. You just said it like a kid comes in and he says, I saw LeBron doing A, B and C. I saw such and such as coaches. Sometimes we just kill passion and fire with information. We just crush it. We say, hey, back home, I used to do CrossFit. Okay, cool. I love it. That that exposed you to training. What did you do? A, B, C and D. So what do you really like to do? Okay, all right. Let's start to bridge that gap. Let's keep that because that's what got him interested in it. So why kill that? Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to tell the kid that everything he's been doing based on your opinion and your, yeah. you know, your false truths that that's not the best thing they could be doing. So you do just crush everything because that's what they're like invested in. And, and then you crush it because you want to use that opportunity to show them how much you know. But we all know bad teachers. Bad teachers spend too much time telling kids what they know and not caring what the kids are learning. Mm-hmm. So like, you got to be able to meet that kid. Where are they at right now? Boom. Here's where they're at. Here's what they've done. Here's what they've been exposed to. All right, cool. Where do we want to get you? What do you think you need to do to improve your game? Oh, I need coach. I need to be able to step back or I need to be able to run the floor better. I need to work on my left hand. You know, every guy wants to jump higher. You know, I need to be able to go in and rebound a little bit. Do A, B. Okay, cool. Let's devise a plan for that. Then remind them, show them when you're in that. how How you want them to learn how to approach training and then show them that those things are happening because what gets seen gets changed. So you're showing them these things and then I can sprinkle in whatever I want to sprinkle in, but like giving them not even an illusion, but just giving them that informed choice, giving them the ability to see their program. That's another thing. This ain't my program. Like, I I don't like when coaches say that, Hey, you want to see my program Well, your program's only as good as the athletes that you work with. All right. And a lot of times we share stuff from freshmen and sophomore because the good Lord of genetics are still doing their work. (laughs) Physiology is taking, taking place right now. Hormones are taking place. This guy has never trained. So he comes in he puts on 15 pounds of ripped in the summer. And you're sitting back there. Oh yeah. It was my APRE bench cycle. (laughs) No, we got Now that could have helped, but at the same time, it's not about you. It's about the kid. This is his program. This is his medical staff. This is his team. This is our you know, vision for him or her. So I think you, you have to be able to see those things too, and then be able to communicate that to them. Um, but yeah, I can't stand it, man. When I see people come in, they're like, yeah, LeBron squats on a stability ball. Now there's reasons why maybe I wouldn't do that with the population that I work with. But the last thing I want to do is either mock or kill that motivation, use it as an opportunity for a teachable moment, allow that door to open, and then have that discussion as you go.
2: Fucking awesome. And you mentioned mental capability earlier. So, what are some of the tools that you use to really get these guys to know themselves and know what they are truly capable of, or sprinkle in and let them fail so you can add teachable moments?
3: I think, first and foremost, as a coach, you can't be afraid to let your athletes experience hardship, adversity, and failure because of how it will reflect on you. So what I mean by that is I'm not using my program or our program to validate my position or place in the field. I do whatever I feel is best for that kid. So when you're putting them in positions of, 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 of intelligent and planned failure, where you're pushing them to a point where they have to be able to bounce back, it's strategic, it's orchestrated. Now, they might not know that. Um, but you're, you're very diligent. You're deliberate about the stress that you're placing on that athlete. And then to me, like that mental resilience and that, and that mental toughness and the grit that the athlete needs, that's just being able to go to work every single day. That's the ability. Like I tell our guys, you've got to be able to come here and some days you're going to clock in. And some days you're going to come in here, you're going to clock in you can't wait to clock out. But while you're in here, If you're already in here, let's get better. And that's a discussion, but you have to be relentless with that. Like, and I always tell our young coaches, be relentlessly relentlessly positive and unapologetically demanding, but not demeaning. So my whole thing with that is like, I'm gonna demand the best from you every day. I drive a hard line, you know, attention to detail, the whole deal. We're going to demand that of you. But at the same time, the training is going to take care of a lot of those things. We're putting you in positions where you're uncomfortable. We're putting you in positions where you have to overcome. And then when you overcome, you can build confidence, not fear. So when you have athletes that are scared to make mistakes, that fear failure, especially these kids nowadays, like there's a lot of kids that have came in that haven't had much failure. They've been basically protected from it. Like, and they don't understand that that failure is fundamental in their growth process, right? So, like, I think our job to help improve that mental resilience or grit or toughness or however you want to describe it, it's just to put them in positions that are, that are challenging, to put them in positions they have to overcome. And then I think they can move forward. But the thing is, too, their teammates see them do it. Mm-hmm. So when their teammates see them do it, they know they can count on each other, and they know they've been in something together. So what are some tools you're using, drills? That
1: allow a
3: safe opportunity for these guys to just fall apart. And I think you got to really describe like fall apart. So we got guys like let's say you got guys who need hypertrophy, but there's a lot of guys who need mental hypertrophy as well. Sure. And you got you got to figure out what have they been fed, sugar or salt, like their whole life. What have they been yeah. fed, sugar or salt? That they came from a background that mommy pampered them and daddy pampered them. Uh, They came from a background. They don't even have parents. Um, I've had athletes that have came in that put on weight and I said, Hey, you got, you're looking really good, man. You're really working it. Then you get to find out that the kid never had breakfast. The kid was eating out of trash cans. He was homeless bouncing from house to house and didn't know where his meals were coming from. Um, So when you look at how to break those kids down, he might not need more failure or he might not need more adversity to let him know that things are just getting darker and darker. He might need some light. He might need you to flash some light on him to let him know like, Hey, all that stuff that you've been through, all that salt you've been fed has brought you to this point. Now let's use it. Let's, let's leverage your strength. Let's weaponize those weaknesses and those hardships that you have faced and let's move forward. Now on the flip side, if I have a kid that comes in that hasn't been in those situations, a lot of times, and I'll be honest with you guys, it's not that they don't want to do it or they won't do it. They've never been asked to. They've never been held accountable to it. So they just they just stopped because they felt like it was okay. No one said anything. Why don't you touch the line? Well, no one ever really made me. When I didn't touch the line, nothing really happened. And they watch everything. They also watch when you make someone touch a line, that you don't make someone else touch a line. Oh, they I see that idea. too. Oh, they, they see that consistency now. They want to know like the standards, the standard. And everybody gets treated fairly. Now, you might not get treated equally in the sense of workouts and practice time because you're playing a certain amount of minutes. We need to take care of certain players in a certain type of way. Um, But that's how you put them in those positions, even like an APRE program. We talked about that before. An APRE bench program from like Brian Mann. Phenomenal program that's progressive that forces them to try to beat numbers each week. In a way that's safe and consistent that auto regulates across the board. So you can put them in a position with an exercise that is safe, um, that you can put them in a position where they have to strain, they have to be able to do these things with their teammates and they see this progress every week, but they also see it if they don't. Um, and then you're able to use that as a teachable moment. So I think a lot of that stuff is finding ways, you know, whether it's, you know, assault bike intervals, like a capacity intervals, whatever it is, there's ways where it's not a structurally taxing. There's ways that it's not dangerous. It's, it's not necessarily high risk, but it's high reward in the sense that they have to push through some of those things to be able to get it done. A perfect example of that we do every spring in our base camp block. Um, we do a block of like oxidative squats, single leg squats. We use a tempo three, two to three seconds down, two to three seconds up, kind of working on putting our guys back together after the season, right? Not heavy, not a lot of load, um, really just fiber targeting dominant, right? Just basic work, but it sucks because it's peripherally taxing and fatiguing and the guys, it just, it just, it just chews them up and it spits them out. And they're like, Oh man, you remember last spring when we were doing (laughs) ABC and D and I'm like, that wasn't even from a physiological standpoint, that wasn't even the most intensive thing we've ever done, but that's what they felt and that's what they go back to. So you got to listen to them and you got to be able to do that and be able to play mind tricks with them a little bit and, and make sure they know they can overcome that. The problem becomes is when failure becomes a habit and it becomes a way of life. When there's no light at the end of the tunnel, if you're constantly just driving them in the ground, you're not looking for selection. You're looking for deselection. You're just going to you're just going to eliminate them. Like they're either going to quit. They're going to transfer. They're going to leave or whatever it may be. Um, But you have to be able to sprinkle in like, hey, you're in this tunnel. And I promise you, if you keep going down the tunnel, the lights down there. But you're going to have to. I need you to go to that dark place. So you can't make a habit of necessarily preparing for the best case scenario all the time.
1: Yeah, not, so we we usually hammer people with like fucking isometrics. Oh, don't give
2: away our block one tricks. It's
1: not, <laughs> not the block one, that's different. That's literally when we just we take out a, a bamboo stick and start whipping people and see who bleeds first. Right in turn? Beat
2: the hammer. We just blood sport style.
1: Interns nodding, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and then, uh, dude, I, rem- I still remember visiting you with Roff, and he had that fucking high school team do those Kadai killers, <laughs> and basically working ex- all extension of the hand. And these guys were fucking melting, just melting. Uh, at because the it's perfectly
3: taxing. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, It's not that you're out there running repeat four hundreds. Like there's not a huge physiological cost to this, mm-hmm. but it's challenging. It's challenging them in a way that they have to make a decision. Either I'm gonna quit, right, or I'm gonna keep going. That's it, like that. You're gonna have to draw a sand, draw a line in the sand, and everybody's watching me. And there's one thing these guys don't want is they want to be, you know, I want to step out, I want to be my own person. Mm. They don't want to eliminate themselves from the group. Right. When you're put on the spot like that, and you got to put in front of your teammates, they start to figure out who they can trust, who's gonna push through those things like, like you said, grip work, hold the bar for time, bar holds, pull up, chin up holds, like. The cost of doing business there is low but the return in the sense of, of creating that little bit of edge and a little bit of time for those guys to to put their efforts on display can be huge
2: yeah yeah i'd like to highlight
3: one of the things you mentioned i love the the sugar
2: and the salt i've never heard that before and it's important to highlight where you said be consistent be consistent but at the same time there's a lot of individuality with your approach to your athletes so you know it don't always be that hard ass, right? you can be consistent with the the reps or Colin or the lines we're talking about. But at the same time, each of these in these athletes are individuals and in how you approach them. It's a great, great highlight that I think a lot of our coaches can learn from. And uh, two different takeaways. And I'd, I'd love to not have them, you know, forget those. So fine moments, takeaways over here. Um, That's good. Yeah. So we got, I, I know you spoke at Summer Strong in the past. Any more speaking engagement or opportunities you have coming up this off
3: season? Yeah, I think we got some stuff in the works. We're trying to find some, some stuff out West and, and try to get around a little bit and do that. Um, nothing that's been locked in yet, just some preliminary talks to my schedule um, and trying to figure those things out. But I'm also at the point now where um, a lot of times people go to speak for profit or they go to speak, um, to share or whatever it is. But I think I'm at the point now where, you know, I want to be able to go places and be able to interact and be around people. That's why Sorenex is so special. Like that. That's why Summerstrong So special. Like that's not about PowerPoints. Like no one cares about PowerPoints there. Like you're not going to go anywhere and see people open up like that. That's special. Like that's transformational. We used that word earlier. Um, which is a phenomenal word. Like that's a conduit for transformation. Right. Um, so yeah, so speaking engagements for me, it, it's also learning opportunities for me. So you mm-hmm. get a chance to learn twice because you're teaching and you're sharing what you do and you're trying to help people, not necessarily tell them or teach them. You're just trying to help somebody, um, in that room and give them a takeaway. But at the same time, you know, that's kind of the way we look at things. Like we're trying to put ourselves in a position where we can share, you know, what we do. It's not the right way, not the wrong way. It's just a way. Um, and hopefully someone can take something from that.
2: Right now, man. So, how do people get in touch with you, get a hold of you, follow you?
3: It's at RyanHorn45 on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we try to keep things light um, and formative at times on there. So, if you want to, see what my daughter or my family or my athletes or anybody else are doing um, and how my life you can actually, you guys can, can't see it obviously on the podcast, but uh, all my daughter's pictures on my dry erase board, that's probably more important than the programs that are written above it. Um, but yeah, so that, if you want to check that out, feel free to go there. Um, we try to interact there as much as possible. because We do think it's a, a platform that needs to be maximized while I have it. Because it's not guaranteed that I will have it for a long period of time, so we might as well use it for some type of positive change.
1: Dude, man, Ryan, hey, thanks for taking the time to chat with us and, and fill the listeners of Power Athlete Radio's ears with unfiltered knowledge bombs. I guess,
2: yeah. Go, Demon Deacons, follow Ryan's crew throughout the season. Yeah, man. I, pre- I appreciate it, guys. Thanks
3: for having me on. All right, thank nice. you, thank you. All right, talk to you later, guys. Bye.
0: Time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Coach Horn on Instagram at RyanHorn45. With just a few days until Wades Day and one month from the Power Athlete Symposium, let's bring it in. Let's take a knee, so to speak. I understand that you guys are super sick and tired of hearing about these events, and I get it. But remember that we beat this horse so that you might spread some awareness of pediatric cancer. And from everything that I've seen all over social media, that's exactly what's happening. It's amazing. We want kids, parents, and families who are stricken with this terrible disease to know that they are well worth the fight and that strength comes in many forms and they exemplify the spirit and drive of a true power athlete. We realize that the money earned from Wade's Army through Wade's Day and the entirety of the symposium is just cash, but if it can bring these kids closer to a cure and the families a symbol of hope, then it is a battle well worth fighting.